Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, gear up. This week's guest is the consummate and controversial artist, Michelle Schacht. Now, you may remember Michelle. She's been around for a little over 30 years. Her career really took off in the mid to late 80s, almost by accident. We talk about that in here. It was a fluke how it even happened. Her second album, Short Sharp Shocked, featured this song right here, When I Grow Up, which I still think of as probably her signature song. Maybe she wouldn't, I don't know, but that's what I think of. Anyway, she's carried on for years. Uh, She goes in every musical direction she ever feels like going into, every genre, nothing is off limits. She's very much an artist, very much a protest singer. She fights massively for the rights of singers and artists to this day. You won't find any of her music on Spotify or iTunes or even YouTube. And we talk about that in here. I tried to understand a little bit better where she's coming from. And to be honest, out of respect for that, just in case, we don't feature hardly any music in this episode. Okay? It's just us talking. Now, back in 2013, March of 2013, there, while performing a concert in San Francisco, she made some very derogatory comments about homosexuals from the stage. And these came as kind of quite a surprise because a large a portion of her fan base have always been lesbians. She's a born-again Christian. And she was saying things like, God hates fags, and talking about uh, gay marriage, and what a problem that would be. Now, it caused a huge controversy. Her career has been different ever since. And there's been a lot of speculation, or a lot of, even from her, as to what the meaning behind that was, the reasoning. Was she kidding? Did she mean it? Was it satire? Was it just banter? Was it, what was it exactly that caused her to say these things? Was it her religious views? Does she really feel that way? Was she combating bootleggers that she knew were in the, in the room? Well, I wanted to seek her out and see if I could find out definitively what was going on that night in her mind and how she feels about it. And I'll leave it up to you to decide whether we get there or not. Anyway, she is a complicated artist She is a consummate artist, and uh, I leave it up to you to decide how you feel about that, because she's put out a lot of great music, and there's been a lot of controversy. I did my very best to try to understand all of it in here, and uh, you'll have to decide if we do. She called me from her home in New York. First of all, I got to tell you, Michelle, I saw you in concert in Salt Lake City around 2000, 2001, I think. And I remember this experience so well. It was at the Zephyr Club, which is no longer there. That was such a great place. And I was on a date with a girl named Anna Gorange. And we used to have a good time because apparently no words rhyme with orange except her last name, Gorange. And uh, we're, in the, we're in the Zephyr Club. And at one point, two major things happened, or major to us in that room at that time. Number one, you mentioned that you had grown up Mormon, which of course is the most provocative thing you could say in Salt Lake City in a venue like that. And then secondly, you brought up and introduced your ex-husband, I believe. And there was a, there was a noticeable like gasp of all the, I'll just say it, of all the lesbians that were there and were assuming that you were a part of their tribe. And, uh, it was it was a really interesting night. Not to mention it was a great night for music too. 
I want to kick it off, and I don't know if anyone will care about this but me. I want to know, now that you're a born-again Christian and very involved in all that kind of stuff, what was so limiting about Mormonism that it couldn't see you through? Why did you leave it? Well, I ran away when I was 16, and I had been um, very bitter about the gender role assignments. There were a lot of great things about Mormonism in their social programs, mm -hmm. but the, um, let me just say, the doctrinaire aspects of, of uh, you know, I, I grew up, I remember at the dinner table talking about Title IX, mm. and I was getting very different narratives from the public education system uh, about opportunities for women than I was from uh, the home life where they were pretty well defined by the time I was born what what my options were, and I just I just found it just not acceptable. Yeah. At what age did you kind of leave it behind? Well, I, you know, I ran away when I was 16, but that kind of indoctrination takes a while to it see does. through. So yeah. I think I was still 19 uh, when I was going to be, you know, I was never going to get married, but I was going to be a virgin when I did. Hmm. So <laughs> um, that probably... Yeah, probably 19 was when I I took the plunge. I, I literally went and found this guy to lose my virginity with so that it was almost like a rite of passage mm -hmm. to say I'm I'm my own I'm my own soul now. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Was this uh you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to. Was this a guy I know early on you were kind of living in squats, sort of the punk punk rock life. Was it a guy from a squat? Was it a friend of yours? No, it was a real nice, clean-cut guy from... Um, uh, he was the student body president. I think this was like me being a high achiever, but still kind of in that Mormon zone. Mm -hmm. He was the student body president uh, at San Marcos State University. And um, I had recently become an activist involved in student uh, fee legislation, like they were trying to raise tuition even back then. Mm. We're talking all of 1979, 1980, somewhere around there. And so I chose me a clean-cut, well-spoken guy because he was, you know, speaking uh, to all of us gathered as we were about to go and lobby at the state legislature and I think it gives you just a little glimmer of, you know, what I thought was, mm -hmm. <laughs> what I thought was hotness back then. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I could see that. Good. Okay. All right. You know, one thing I was thinking about you is that every like hot button topic there is to discuss in casual conversation, whether it's religion or politics or sex or music or controversy or whatever they all funnel through michelle shocked non-stop yeah you know every I'm one of them <laughs> yes every one of them so i uh i i'm just i don't see other any other way around some of these issues but just to address them head on because that's 
who you are as an artist. One thing in keeping with the sort of the religion side of things, I believe, uh, first of all, I mean, I know that you've, I believe you were born again kind of in the late 90s. And there's a, there are very few clips of you on YouTube, but one of them that I've been watching is you singing at uh, your church in Los Angeles. I wrote down the name of the song. There's no God like Jehovah. And you're the only white lady in the room. And, but you're up on stage just going for it. And I wonder if, I wondered how it feels for you to be accepted in that room. And in, when I say room, I don't mean just the physical room. I mean just that group of people, that culture. Because I have a feeling that's very important to you. Frankly, it's the only thing that's important to me. Um, once you have the conviction of that kind of faith and you've been through the fiery trials that I've been through to stand up for your faith, uh, then you know that there is no God like Jehovah. But it does answer a question I've wondered. Why people had the impression that I was a recently mm. uh, born-again Christian? Because... Although that video, yeah, might be what you said, late 90s or something? Um, I think it was posted in 2016, but it looks older than that. Yeah. Well, that particular video was done in 2016, but mm. I was uh, saved. I made an altar call, and I accepted Jesus Christ in 19-freaking-91. Oh. So huh. is, yeah, so, <laughs> I mean... A lot of it was this rumor-mongering about, oh, well, you know, she's recently become a Christian, mm. and she's ashamed of her past, and mm. she thinks they'll reject her if she comes out of the closet as the lesbian she is. And, like, what mm -hmm. kind of moron <laughs> would go to a Michelle Shock show and be surprised when I'm introducing what was not my ex-husband at the time, was my husband. Oh, okay. I mean... There was willful blindness about all things pertaining to my uh, identity. In, in other words, I'm recently getting hip to this term. I'll, I'll share it with you. It's called a social imaginary. Mm. And what this basically means, you can look it up. It basically means it doesn't matter what I tell you I am. It doesn't matter what I actually am. What? matters is what you think I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would <laughs> And I once you create a tribe based around what you think I am, I'm kind of irrelevant. It doesn't matter anymore if I go, yeah, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you are fantasizing beyond any reasonable measure of adult supervision. And I don't know what to say to those folks, except they needed me to be something that I was not. And mm -hmm. I was just very conscientious about um, the legacy of McCarthyism, where people had to swear these loyalty oaths in front of a congressional legislature saying, I am not now, nor have I ever been a communist. And mm -hmm. I just found that to be, you know, a small, benign atrocity. And so I wasn't going to participate in it. But no, bring on the lesbians. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, I thought that exactly. But because of all those push, those hot button issues I mentioned a while ago, people, I think, want to project onto you what they, like you said, what they want you to be, whether it's, um, you know, an advocate for LGBT communities or it's the born again community that wants you as a, you know, a spokesman for Jesus Christ 
or it's the folk music community that wants you to be out there with your hat and your, uh, you know, in your acoustic guitar, just always hitting the road. I mean, everybody wants Michelle shocked in their tribe to be the person they want them to be, but you stand alone doing what you want to do. And it frustrates people and it confuses them. Do you find this? Well, then they need to all come to the artist rights party because anybody that understands that Michelle Schacht is the bootleg poster child raising a ruckus for artist rights and is dancing on Bob Dylan's grave while she's doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not dead yet, is he? Um, <laughs> Just about. <laughs> yeah, bring it on. Bring it on. Uh-huh. That, that's, where, that's the party you're going to find me at. And okay. anybody who wants to join that party is welcome to come. Yeah. Let's talk about that. You, this is before, I mean, obviously we got to get to other things, but I want to talk about this artistic, um, the fight for artists that you're doing now. Explain to us the Musical Chairs Project and why you're doing it and what it is all about. I mentioned I'm the bootleg poster child, and if you understand the genesis of my career, it makes perfect sense why 30 years later I mm-hmm. am beating the band for artist rights. Um, I was bootlegged by a guy who claims to be a music journalist for a magazine in England called Folk Roots. Mm-hmm. And I was a volunteer at a festival in Texas. And he pulled me aside and asked me to sing some songs into his Sony Walkman and, you know, I was, what, 23, 23 years old, 22, I think I was 22. Okay. And I said, sure, you know, I'd love to have an audience all singing my songs. Well, this rat bastard had an independent label and a business partner and a friend at the BBC he took this recording back to London. They broadcast it on the BBC, which in and of itself is a copyright mm-hmm. violation. And then without my permission or knowledge, decided to release it as an album. Now, here it is, 2019, and people at least have enough understanding of copyright to go, uh he can't do that mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. but I'm going to say something it was very different in what was it 1986 yeah I believe so when in 1986 people didn't understand this this is what they said back then oh it's a Cinderella story he mm-hmm. discovers you and now you're famous aren't you lucky so you have to look at a 30 plus year trajectory of me standing my ground mm-hmm. to say that I have rights and just because you want to project onto me any number of identity politics uh, to diffuse and deflect and to confuse what's really going on here the thing that has been consistent beyond anything else is that I have a voice and I know how to use it. Mm. And I just had to wait. 
until, you know, the outrageous uh, abuses of technology have exposed in crystal clear, unambiguous terms the violations of artist rights so that people can finally see through the, the magical thinking and the mm-hmm. utopian idealism and go, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. She's taking on slavery. Mm-hmm. This is slavery, man. If I don't own my words, who does? Yeah. Google? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let me uh, let me play devil's advocate for a minute. So two things. You sent me an article. that um, was an interview with this guy, Martin Goldschmidt. He's the guy who claimed to have, who recorded you, I believe, and put it out in the world. One thing in that article. Number one, he claims he cleared it with you first. And number two, I mean, it launched your career. So is that such a bad thing? I mean, you know, we know who Michelle Schacht is thanks to this guy, for better or worse. Sounds like you weren't. What would you have done differently if he hadn't done that for you? Well, if you're being the devil's advocate here, John, I got to warn you. They say the devil isn't the devil because he's wiser. He's just older. He's, mm. That's the only reason that he's smart and can deceive people is because he's older. And so I have been around long enough that I got answers for both of those. Uh-huh. I could say the same thing when they discovered Professor Longhair, mm-hmm. you know, as a janitor in New Orleans. That guy was a griot. He was a an elder statesman of his community. And a bunch of white liberals from Boston putting out a record on, on, on Professor Longhair on Rounder Records, discovering him, that is an insult to injury, mm. to what was his true identity in his community. So that's okay. a you know, slap back on that one. Um, and with my own uh, identity, I told you, I wanted to be a community organizer. I wanted to be an activist. That was that mm. was my identity. So to be snatched, to be Shanghai, to be kidnapped from that, and to be, you know, shot out of a cannon against my will, against my, you know, any rights that, that I had to say, you know, meant that I knew an opportunity when yeah. I saw it. But don't ever tell me to shut up and sing. Don't mm-hmm. ever go there. And then um, I think we covered both points with that. But yeah, we did. This guy, Martin Goldschmidt, wasn't the, the bootlegger. He was the partner. He was uh, the business partner. Okay, okay. And in that thing I sent you, if you noticed, I highlighted you did. about 15 different lies. This, that this MFR is telling, okay? Mm-hmm. 15 different lies. So among the lies that he's telling is that he cleared it with me. Well, come on, man. It's, there, there's, no lia- there's no limit on liability for criminal activity. And copyright infringement of that kind is not civil infringement. That was, that was a violation of my moral rights. Mm-hmm. They... Um, have something called the moral rights of authors and among the moral rights of authors is the right of first use if i've never exploited a copyright i don't care i don't care what kind of 
you better get it in writing, man. If you yeah. think you've got permission, <laughs> yeah, but that's the least. Of his, that is the least of his offenses. Okay. That man ever told told Mercury that he had a contract with me, and on that basis, I'm giving you exclusive here, by the way. Nice. On that basis, Mercury signed a contract, not with me, but with him. Oh. And guess who we didn't even contract with? Hmm. Right. <laughs> Got it. I love how that dro- that dime just dropped. I like it. I heard it myself. <laughs> you dig? I dig it. You yeah. Dig? I am the bootleg poster child, and vengeance is mine. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me then about musical chairs. You've got a couple of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm coming off of cold. You've got a couple of people here with you, Max Pollock and Nikki Denner, and all three of you are sort of on, I, I, th- I believe you're releasing music and you're putting on shows that are sort of fighting against the Spotify's of the world, Spotify specifically probably, to get more, you know, freedom and uh, exposure in the artist's pockets, so to speak. It's uh, what what all is involved in the Musical Chairs project? Yeah, that's how it's usually um, reported in um, the the media that you know we're a bunch of little scrappy artists you know, scrapping for more micro pennies. Like, no. more money You deserve it. I Look, I'm with you too. I mean, I use, I, I do use Spotify and I like it. I don't use it as my primary listening thing. It's more in the background while I'm at work or something like that. But I am 100% with you. I do believe the artists are being screwed um, so heavily by them and every other tangent or angle of the music business today. So I support this. Yeah. Well, their micro pennies are the least of our problems. Even if they raise their micro pennies a couple of points, they're they're not even getting close to the problem. We don't want mm. their stinking money. Mm. We want something that they will never give us, and that's respect. Yeah. And um, Daniel Eck, uh, if your listeners don't know, is the founder of Spotify. He started out as a pirate, and he's still a pirate, and he's using legal means to cover his butt. He's creating a paper trail of fraud to steal our rights and and then come back and claim that he was uh, legitimate, legitimized by legislation. Mm-hmm. So he can't even afford to give us respect. So his micro pennies mean almost nothing to us. Yeah. But I don't yeah. know if I... I don't know if I answered your question or not. No, that's great. That's great. Um, I, um, oh, I got to say this. Spotify, frankly, is from my musical chairs project, not the beginning of the story. It's the middle of it. It's the heart of it, of course, streaming is. But the beginning of the story, I take on Wikipedia. Oh. And people are like, what do you got against Wikipedia, Michelle? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, your first question was, Regarding uh, all these rumors about my Christian identity, my mm-hmm. sexual orientation, man, all of that started 20 years ago with Wikipedia. Mm. When Wikipedia informed me that I was not a sufficient source of authority for <laughs> my own biography. Oh, boy. You, you ask transgender people, when Wikipedia had them listed by their 
birth name and their birth gender. And they try to correct the record. And Wikipedia says, nope, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> we know better than you do. Or you ask Joe Hill, who just happens to be uh, the son of Stephen King when he launched his literary career and maybe didn't want to be accused of writing on his father's coattails. Mm-hmm. So he created his own identity as Joe Hill. Not not good enough for Wikipedia. Yeah. So, so, you know, when you go back to issues of respect and when you go back to issues of slavery, I'm telling you, if I don't own my identity, who does? Wikipedia? Yeah, yeah. So to start with Wikipedia, I, I work my way through the... Um, NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters. I definitely take on, you know, I said it like this, John. I'm going to take down Google, and after I take down Google, I'm going to take down Amazon, okay? <laughs> but that's not good enough for me. I'm going to tell you how I'm going to do it. And um, in, in a disruptive economy like the one that we're in, we're too big to fail, and monopsony capitalism, surveillance capitalism holds all the cards. It turns out that democratic, social, socially responsible democratic representation is the very, very best weapon to bring to this fight. And so I end my musical chairs project with a very modest proposal. Um, it's called the CASE Act. Mm. And most small creators are facing infringement issues less than $30,000, Dig, And there's one senator who has put a hold on this legislation. It already passed the House, 410 to 6, and it's in the Senate. And this one senator is saying, not no, but hell no, it's not going mm-hmm. up for a vote. Now I want to tell you about this senator, okay? This guy grew up in Palo Alto. This guy was installed by Google as a senator in a state with more musicians Mm -hmm. than any other state except my home state, Texas. Mm -hmm. This is the senator from Oregon holding up legislation that would be the biggest remedy for independent artists. So what's the deal? Why would a senator representing uh, a state with more musicians than anywhere but Texas not provide the remedy that's already cleared the house. Do you want to guess? I'll tell you the answer. Tell me. I want you to guess first. Well, there's obviously a lot of conflicts of interest here. You know, um, California, tech, music, all of these things are factoring into this guy. And this is made for a screenplay because this cat, I mentioned, was installed by Google in Oregon. Uh Uh-huh. Oregon has on its eastern desert the biggest hydroelectric plants in the country. These are what is powering the server farms for Google and Amazon. Frankly, you know, all of the all of the uh, internet yeah. providers on the West Coast. I didn't know that. So in eastern know, Oregon, huh? Eastern Oregon. It's called the Vales or the the Dow, D-A-L-L-E-S, I don't know. Sure. So, you know, I heard I heard you, uh, your aha when the dime, dime dropped about Martin Goldschmidt yeah. and the, the lines that he does. Now I want to hear the dime drop for what is really going on behind the fight for artist rights because 
in California, we remember a governor, an, a, a Democrat, democratically elected governor, I think his name is Gray Davis. Yeah. Being run out of office because of those Enron mm-hmm. uh, racketeers who created these rolling brownouts and blackouts using the same technology that those server farms are powering now for for the fraud that they're running against artist rights. They ran it then and they're running it now mm. for running energy technology, for running finance technology. So, you know, this is where my faith and my activism come together in my musical chairs, artist rights thing. It's one drop, one drop of truth, John, to yeah, spell yeah. an ocean of lies. That's true. And huh. these rat bastards have been flooding us, swamping us with an ocean of lies. And one poet is willing to stand up and go, I don't think it makes sense that Ron Wyden should be reelected. I could name six or seven musicians who would make better senators from Oregon right. than Ron Wyden. Right. Um, let me ask you this, too. I know um, all music is in your crosshairs as well. Uh, I've had a, I know two or three writers for that site. What What's the issue with all music? They were like <clears throat> a lot of people as, as the music business was, um, what's the word? Oh, disrupted. Mm-hmm. Um, they were like rats jumping overboard. Oh my, you know, and a lot of them by that point had families, they had mortgages. How am I going to make a living? So long artists, good luck, hope things work out. And what I'm discovering, I just talked to a guy last night um, at the Copyright Office Symposium on uh, what they are calling unclaimed royalties, Mm. and I'm calling BS, that's unmatched royalties. He used to work as a publicist at SST, he's telling me this, for Black Flag, right? Mm -hmm. And I know uh, that the cat's who were doing their dirty deeds for all music, by and large, believed in the power of journalism, of speaking truth to power, believed in, you know, someday they too could be Grill Marcus, mm. uh, and George, that they had it in them to tell the story in all of its nuance and complexity. And, you know, they they just found themselves with their backs against the wall and uh, started kind of towing the party line for these tech platforms. Um, the guy that wrote my bio, I can't get a single factual error corrected. It becomes basically my, you know, placeholder for my legacy and yeah. so much. So you, the story I just told you yeah. about Martin Goldschmidt, uh-huh. You won't see that on All Music Guide anywhere because it does not support the narrative of those platforms trying to tell a very different story. So your issue with All Music is that they're promoting, is it the fact checking? Is it that there's an error? Is it because you feel like they're promoting these same platforms that are robbing artists of money? What's I, I'm confused. What is at the heart of the All Music issue? 
uh, if I say yes, uh, does that okay. make anything okay. easier? <laughs> okay, got it. Because see, my I um, again going back to resources, I use a lot. I use all music. It's to me, it's almost like a uh, for better or worse, like a historical database. If I want to be up to speed on all of Michelle Shock's albums and read a review that compares them to each other in most cases and factors in your whole career and the and what your usual output is, I find it to be a pretty straightforward, unbiased place to get that information. You know, if I go to Rolling Stone magazine, I have to hear what Jan Wenner thinks. But if I go to all music, I'm just, it's sort of more academic than that to me, but you tell me I'm wrong. It tells me, it tells me a lot about you that you will give up. You remember that thing after 9-11, they said people who would sacrifice um, their liberty for security don't deserve either one. Mm. And uh, what it tells me is that you are definitely willing to sacrifice um independent thinking for convenience mm. and that you will you will allow yourself to be a target of surveillance you will allow yourself to be a target of data mining that you will allow yourself to be a target of the kind of things that they have pretty well documented by now uh, with Cambridge Analytica and Facebook mm. that make you what I call a pawn in a Ponzi scheme mm. and you, you need to ask yourself this question if you feel so inclined to ask it right now and answer it right now. I'd be mm -hmm. fascinated to hear the answer. Yeah. There was one artist that went through the major label system and came out whole owning her masters and the reason that they were not destroyed in the universal fire was because she had owned them from outset. Mm -hmm. Why don't I know this about Michelle Shocked? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I do mean, you think then that it's all... Hang on, let me holler for a second. Yeah, please. If oh. all you get guy is such a freaking academic know-it-all, why isn't that in all music guys? Answer. Tell me. My feeling, uh, my, my gut is that the universal fire is still sort of a new news uh, point. And has probably not been updated. I have noticed because I speak to so many people and I utilize Wikipedia sometimes to do some very high level research. It's not all my research. Um, it is starting to say whether artists were affected by that universal fire. Not in everyone, but in some of them, I've noticed. Um, one thing I was going to say, but I mean, as far as all music goes, like, sorry, you go ahead. Sorry. I don't think that's your deepest thinking on the subject. If, if if the universal fire and the updates are foremost in your mind, the fact that there was a cover-up for seven years... Oh, well, that, yes, absolutely, yes. But that's Universal's <laughs> problem. Is that, do you you think that's all music and everyone else was complicit in hiding the fact that all those masters were destroyed? Well, that, that makes me sound like a freaking conspiracy theory. No, it doesn't. I would be, I would agree with you on that front <laughs> i'm sure that's what yeah. happened if they're recovering well, their asses they don't want the world to know that they screwed up so badly well i threw that one at you so that was that was for thinking on your feet and that's after i had just insulted you for being a gadget so i don't blame <laughs> you I'm really you know i'm keeping this brisk but no um, it's okay it's okay and wonder why 
that fact about my biography, my singular position, does not make its appearance on All Music Guide, and I don't think the answer is going to be because they just haven't updated mm. the information yet. Maybe. Okay. Um, as I mentioned, I've gotten to know Chris Woodstra, who's a writer on there, a little bit, and I believe he wrote your uh, your bio. In fact, I should confirm that right now. And I believe he right sold now. all music. What's that? And I believe he sold all music and, and has a new startup. Oh, really? I, don't, I should ask him. He's coming on the show here eventually. We've been talking about t bringing him on, but um, I'll have to confirm with him. Uh, yeah, I hope I'm. I hope I'm like left with egg on my face on that one. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, I mean, you're outspoken no matter what. That's why I wanted to talk to you. I was fascinated to hear your opinions about all kinds of things. You know, that's what makes you the artist that you are. Yeah. Well, look how far it got Roseanne Barr and Kathy Griffin. You know. Yeah. Well, and okay. That's. I can't think of a better segue than to the Yoshi incident, which we got to touch on, because I think, um, you know, it's interesting that you lump those two together. Of course, Roseanne Barr, I don't like her politics, so I'm more angry with what she did than I am with Kathy Griffin, because I agree with her politics. You know what I mean? But that's not fair of me to come at it that way. I mean, they're both, doesn't matter who you're offending, they both were offensive things to do, I guess. You've been the victim of this. Um, and you've been asked many, many times, I'm sure, to clarify that night, um, St. Patrick's Day 2016, 2013, I'm sorry, at Yoshi's in San Francisco. Talk about the bootlegging, talk about the sex, talk about the politics, all these things factor into this moment. Um, I don't know. How do you feel? I've heard several different responses from you. I've heard that it was satire. I've heard that you didn't mean it. I heard that you did mean it and you did it on purpose. Um Explain, I guess, where you stand on that moment and how it has affected you since. Well, to do that, you're going to have to give me a little finer appreciation of your intelligence and ability to think on your feet. If you're going to ask a question like that, I've hmm. already insulted you twice. I called <laughs> you a gadget. I called you a tool. So now you tell me what you think was going on. Why did I do it? That's okay. Okay, I'm glad. Um, I think <clears throat> I think you were probably attempting to uh, I look at it as sort of like a stand-up comedian who um, you know is trying out material in a small club and uh, he's not quite sure whether it's gonna work or not you know and maybe a joke falls flat maybe it doesn't and if it works he's gonna he's gonna continue it on in his act I see it almost in a way as you sort of working out material, crowd banter in a way. So and, far, so good. Okay. And um, I don't know about satire. I do, um, sometimes I think people hide behind satire as an excuse. I'll be honest. I mean, you've called me things. I'll just say, I think sometimes they say, oh, it was satire, which is a way of saying if you don't get it, that's on you. That's not on me. I did what I did. But I don't think, you know, Larry Flint... And Jerry Falwell, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious that he was satirizing Jerry Falwell. But if it's someone saying, "Well, if you don't like my joke, then you just don't understand satire," I don't know that that's always fair. Um, Can I interrupt you for just one second to take yes. a little rabbit hole? Yeah. Was what Kathy Griffin did satire? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, probably, was, yeah. Was, I, was what Roseanne Barr said satire? I don't think Rose, what Roseanne Barr said was satire. 
okay, you don't think that what a comedian said, a professional career comedian said was satire. You think it was polemic and hate speech? That's what you're saying? I think that, yes, that's a good, I'm glad you asked me to clarify. I think that if she had said that in, like on stage, as a joke or something, that'd be one thing, but this was from her Twitter account. I mean, it'd be, it'd be like saying that all the stupid things that Donald Trump says are just jokes and it's satire. And if you don't get it, that's on you. Uh, I think it was a moment of reality. I think, I think Roseanne Barr was exposing where she, what she really feels about something. And it burned her, okay. and she didn't I mean, like it. That was an interruption. I want you to go back to your train of thought, but I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. So Kathy Griffin is a comedian. It was satire. Roseanne Barr is a comedian. It wasn't satire. Please please go on. Okay. Um, I've never had to think all this through, so this is where I'm, think- this is where I'm coming from right now. So in your case, okay. I feel like you were trying to kind of get at something, um, probably about, at that point, a conf- the conflict between... Um, you being a religious person and empathizing with religious leaders out there who are now maybe going to be faced with having to marry gay people. And this, I know, comes from, this probably maybe comes from some of your Mormon upbringing because as a Mormon, I know that that was a huge issue in our church. And one of the reasons why I have a major problem with our church now is because I do not support that way of thinking. And um, so I think you were probably working through some stuff in front of people, the that's one. Where you, that's where you get off track. You, you, you're already uh, on the wrong Am I? path. Do you want me to? Yeah, yeah. You want me to get you on the right path? Yeah. Um. There were um, three banners on stage that night, and they were very big banners, about six feet high by about four feet wide. I brought them with me. Um, if you don't know what those banners said, or if you don't know that there were banners on stage with words on them, then there's pretty much not going to be any way for you to continue uh, down this uh, line of of thinking that you're being a good sport to try to explain. Well, isn't Uh, one like, one was, you were in the reality section of your show. I think the beginning section would have been fantasy, if I remember correctly. Do I have, am I on the right track here? Uh, you're, you're, hmm, let's see. You can so call me there out. There were three words. Okay. There were three words on, on, on the three banners. Each banner had a separate word. Do you know what the three words were by any chance? I don't. Uh, the first word was truth. The second word was versus. And the third word was reality. Keep in okay. mind now, this was 2013. Mm-hmm. This was 2013 before any reports were coming to the surface talking about fake news. Mm-hmm. So am I am I a prophet? Did I have some special gift of insight to understand that what we now understand was how uh, the Brexit campaign was able to turn a progressive community in Wales to vote against immigrants? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know, or how uh, communities in four states were targeted by the Trump campaign to turn the election in his favor. This was 2013 again. Mm-hmm. And I got on stage and I had a pretty good idea of how they were doing it. And what I understood was that they were targeting our news feeds and that they were giving us 
the news that we wanted to hear. Right. Well, and, and that's even time. worse now, isn't it? Oh we, yeah. We all live in our echo no chambers. <laughs> yeah. And if you go and if you go back to uh, what I told you was over twenty year long uh, effort on my part to set the record straight with Wikipedia, I was well aware of the rumors going on under the surface about my um, my identity mm-hmm. issues, my my politics, my religion, my sexuality. I was well aware of all of those. And the one thing that I was trying to solve was who was out there in the audience running a tape recorder. Nobody was ever going to raise their hand and say, it's me, Michelle. Among all these fans, all these people who love you, I didn't come here because I'm a fan. I come here because there is a cyber locker in New Zealand that will pay me to upload a live recording of your concert that people who can subscribe to will pay good money Mm. to hear a bootleg recording. And you knew that was happening at that show. I proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt, John. (laughs) That's true, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, let me ask you then, there's two obvious follow-up questions that I'm sure you've been asked a million times. Number one, um, there are, you sent me the recording and I was listening to it and there are several people asking for you to clarify after that, including Pierce Morgan, who I think is a complete douchebag. So after the fact, obviously on CNN, it, it felt like there were opportunities for you to clarify what you meant and maybe you missed them or skirted them or answered them sort of dubiously. Do you understand why people would feel that way? Yeah. Okay. Of course I do. Do you, what, I mean, do you want to clarify where you, it was all just a joke? You said these things to test to see if there was boot, if there were bootleggers out there that you, we're sure we're in the audience and it turned out you were right. That was the whole reason for it all. Well, let me ask you, we've been talking for 51 minutes now. You don't know me, but mm-hmm. you have a pretty good sense uh, of who you've got on the other end of this phone line. Mm-hmm. What is your best understanding of everything that I did before and after this, what I've referred to as an exploit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's what my friend calls a hack. It's interesting that you asked me that because I've been trying to make sense of this since it happened, but especially getting ready to talk to you. And that's why I wanted, that's why I've been, I've been wanting to have you on for years. So this is a gigantic honor for me. I just want to say that. Um, I can tell based on what you were saying a minute ago about not wanting your first album to ever come out that, uh, you probably, you might really have said those things just to test and your career be damned. And it's, I going back to this projection of onto you that people have, it's not normal. 
That's, I guess, the bottom line here is that Michelle Schock never does anything normally. She doesn't care about her music career. She doesn't care if she says crazy things that offend people because at the root of it all, there's a reason for why she did those things. And they aren't the reasons that you think. And they aren't the reasons, they aren't for the, like you didn't want a music career. So you don't, you're not, you're, even though this, you were granted one by that bootlegged CD of yours back in 88 or whatever it was. That's still not what you wanted. So you want, we assume that Michelle Schacht is sitting at home like, well, you know what? It didn't work. I didn't, it's not what I wanted, but I'm grateful because now I have a career. You don't think that way. And um, so you probably were okay with sacrificing or whatever your entire career to test them out to see if those bootleggers were in that room that day. I hope that made sense. I don't, it made more sense you in my know, head maybe when I said it. it. It made as much sense as I would have made, so I'm just going to let you put those words in my mouth. I, um, <laughs> I think you're on the right track. Okay, and let me let me say that you you've been asked many times. You don't think of yourself as a homophobe, correct? And I think you saw a recent article where I I fine tuned it. Finally, I said you have to be a moron to be a homophobe. Frankly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not a moron. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, do you, let me ask you this, and I don't know if you get asked this a lot. Do you find that um, your faith and your views on homosexuality are at conflict with each other? And if they are, which side of that do you, do you land on? Uh, no, there's, there's no conflict. And I said it even uh, that night. I believe the word of God to be exactly what it says it is the truth mm-hmm. do you believe that and God... i know that go ahead sorry and i know that a a drop of truth will dispel an ocean of lies and we are all depending on that i mean there is a serious serious uh moment of truth that we are facing um in our experiment with democracy and I'm going to stand on that. I'm going to stand on that faith for as long as it takes. I'm mm-hmm. not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Do you think that God has a problem with gay people getting married? Uh, you know, as as I'm fond of saying, maybe you should talk to him about it mm. and ask him that question. <laughs> okay. But um, I do know this, that um, there was a an article that came out in 2007 in a gay paper called The Voice, and uh, the same writer who um, wrote the Dallas Morning News article uh, interviewed me for that. You can look it up if you want to find it. His name is Daniel Kushner. Okay. And um, when uh, that subject or that conversation uh, came up then, um, I said that it's my belief, and he had interviewed, by the way, Jennifer Hudson, Mm. who really fell on your sword, uh, and it was like a real devastation for her. I, I wasn't quite as uh, uh, prissy about it. I said that um, I believe in the Word of God, as I said, to be the truth. I also believe that um, the Bible is concerned with the effects of sin and its relationship uh, that it has caused with man and God. And I also um, 
don't get me bust now, Scripture here. I will lay a, a verse on you. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Mm-hmm. For everyone who believes. I'm just going to keep saying that. For everyone who believes. Nice. Yeah, the Bible talks about homosexuality is a sin, but it doesn't distinguish it. It doesn't put a spotlight on it mm-hmm. as being any more or worse of a sin than adultery, fornication, lying. And in this Dallas Voice interview, I go, and I'm a fornicator with a capital F, you know? <laughs> Who am I to judge anybody? Right. Who am I to judge anybody? It doesn't say it's more or less of a sin. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that answer is satisfactory for you, because there's plenty of folks, you know, non-appointed gay folks who want to have angels dancing on the heads of gay pens. Mm-hmm. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. I still feel like you don't you don't answer these things with direct yeses or nos. You, um, but you do it in your own way, and that's what Michelle Shocked as an artist is all about, you know. And uh, if you love Michelle, that's what you get. And uh, I love would Michelle. Would you like me to answer? It? Would you like me to answer it in the amount of space that you could do it in a tweet? <laughs> no, I don't care about that. I'm not. I'm not a hyper Twitter. Twitter or Twitter or whatever it is. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, so what's going forward? I mean, you're uh, in watching some of these clips of you singing gospel songs at your church in Los Angeles. I know that you did one recently to Heaven You Ride, and it's a really beautiful album made up of gospel songs. Do you anticipate doing more of that? The, the 2007 album, you mean? Yeah. Have I ever repeated myself? No, <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, I have to admit, as I was answer asking that, I thought there's no way she never does the same thing twice. Speaking of which, um, I think a lot of people may have come on to you or become aware of you with Captain Swing. That was the first of many sort of uh, curveballs that you willfully threw at people who thought they knew what Michelle Shocked was, right? Well, from your perspective, of course it looks that way, but from the from the vantage that I had where I told the A&R guy who signed me to Mercury, I said, I'm going to make this album, and I'm going to make that album, and then I'm going to make a bluegrass album. Mm-hmm. So they have only themselves to blame in that I told them. Of course, the guy was gone by the time Captain Swing came out. Mm. I love that album, by the way. I worked in a music land in a, in a mall when that album came out and uh when it was my turn to pick what we would play in the store i would often pick captain swing so just wanted you to you know you may play on the greener side in its entirety on this podcast <laughs>
link the video for it which is on my um it's on my um vimeo uh, right? or your website it, yeah yeah on my website yeah yeah that was another thing i was gonna say and i'm sure it factors back into everything we talked about at the beginning there's not a lot of you on youtube either i mean i i typically whenever i interview somebody i want to i try to listen to every shred of music that they've ever put out to get ready and i have some michelle shocked albums but not all of them and so I was good. I thought, well, this will be. I'll go listen to some of the old ones. Obviously, they're not on Spotify or iTunes, but they're also not on YouTube either. So um, <laughs> I was, I was stumped. You know? How are people gonna ever discover me? Well, <laughs> I personally use Spotify for my own selfish reasons. I'll like, oh, I haven't heard the, you know, this particular Michelle Shock album. I'll give it a shot. I'll listen to it, and if I like it. I have like thousands of CDs. I prefer the physical copy, owning the physical copy, but I like to make sure I'm making a good purchase first. You know, that's kind of what I use it for. But I'm not going to criticize your buying habits. I don't think that streaming is sustainable. Yeah. I think that they have artificially choked the um, physical market so that people uh, aren't given choice or an alternative I'm more focused going forward on the shenanigans that are afoot with web 3.0 and what I would like to see are the promises of web 1.0 fulfilled in web 3.0 and I'm going to be on the front lines fighting to make that happen yeah I can I can check talk with the best of them. I can tell, and I'm not very smart. But let me ask you this. We'll close it with this. What is an what is an ideal partnership between artists and technology? What would you like to see that you don't see now? So going forward, how do we make this work? Yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate it. Yeah, hold my feet to the fire for a change, right? Yeah, um, right? I'm going to... I'm going to say that sustainability is the uh, goal, regardless of whether you're talking about art or technology. If a technology does not sustain and support, well, let's start with creativity, but that's just the beginning of it, life and uh, humane uh, models of, of coexistence then I don't care how dominant it is, it's got to go. And so um, I would like to see a balance restored where truth tellers can speak even about the dominant paradigm, yes, that means technology, and not be censored, silenced, quarantined, blacklisted, but can shine a light on the way forward 
um, so that we have an important role to play in society rather than just leading our fans like sheep to be slaughtered for their data. Okay. How, um, how are you going to be financially reimbursed? You can't be an artist <laughs> if you can't pay your bills. Um, one good copyright infringement settlement. <laughs> Come uh, move like me, bitch! I dare you. <laughs> okay. Well, let me let me ask you this: Did your fight against sort of the man extend to like if somebody wanted to use a Michelle Shocked song in a movie or a commercial or something like that? Do you shut that down? The, Someone offers um, you twenty thousand dollars to use, you know. When I grow up in a commercial or something, what do you say? We're talking, for your listeners, we're simplifying the conversation about sync licensing. Mm -hmm. And the tech disruption has done more to uh, devalue an artist's ability to support and sustain themselves beyond that, you know, little 15-minute window of fame that they may or may not enjoy. Um, but... I I was one of about 300 people arrested at Occupy Wall Street at the L.A. encampment. And after the eviction, we, um, you know, we didn't have a place to gather, but I joined a, a committee that continued to fight against uh, foreclosure fraud. And um, movies like The Big Short have kind of, in hindsight, explained what happened um but even at the time we understood that the 2008 um uh subprime mortgage crisis mm -hmm. that crashed the economy hard and had such a devastating effect on so many people's lives was a manufactured crisis by you know technology's first real uh debut was in the world of finance tech and that, well, maybe not the first. I think the energy crisis was mm. the, the first mm -hmm. one, Enron. Mm -hmm. But they fine-tuned it, and then they ran it up the flagpole with um, the mortgage crisis in, in 08. And so um, when by the time I'm arrested in 2011 and I'm involved in a committee fighting uh, what we call fraud closure, I'm seeing firsthand the devastating effects of this um this this fraud with with no accountability, no prosecutions, which meant that twenty years later, uh, they twenty was my math. Ten years later, um, it was so profitable that all that's left is to rinse and and repeat. Hmm. And so I, I'm taking a, a, a slow time to answer your question about sync licensing. By the way, and so I. Um, and seeing them try to repeat the fraud with the devaluation of intellectual property with, with using the same kind of tactics, the same robo-signing, mm. uh, the same document fraud, you know, insider trading and no prosecutions and the revolving door with Washington. And it would be easy to be confused and think that this is the new reality, but it's not. It's an aberration that comes from the monopsony position that um, Google and Facebook and Amazon enjoy and take advantage of 
but I have some democratic uh, institutions remaining that I am uh, joining in that revolution to overturn this abuse. And so I don't think this is a permanent condition. I don't think that austerity and taking of people's property is a permanent condition. I think that things, balance will be restored, and when it is, that the value of my intellectual property and what I stand for as an artist and my music will be very meaningful for people who are telling stories in film or television. Or I even got a book author just wanting to cite um, a lyric of mine. Um, and I think that as long as I don't sell myself short, as long as I hold my value and, you know, and I'm willing to stand my ground during this famine, that there will be a period of abundance, not just for me, but for everyone, and that I can create a, a an example for other, other dreamers, other songwriters, and other artists to follow, where they don't have to sell themselves into bondage and slavery and think that they're getting some kind of value out of the mm. exchange. It's just not the case. I know a better way. See, this is this is why I think people are perplexed by Michelle Shocked, because I, I ask if you want if you would license one of your songs to a movie for twenty thousand dollars or whatever, and that still falls under kind of slavery and uh, and oppression by big tech and stuff like that. If I understand you correctly, and um, I think that just surprises people. You know why not? No, why not bask in the benefits no, of your you, you art? Got it, no, you got it exactly backwards. Really? Yeah. Let me try again. Um, the devaluation of my sync licenses is artificial. It has been artificially devalued. Much like the coffee growers in Central America who were showing up uh, in the 80s with their beans and being told that the market wouldn't pay them um, the, the fair value of their mm. coffee beans that it had cost them more to grow their coffee beans than the market was willing to pay. At which point the coffee growers said, screw this, I'm not growing any coffee. At which point the market said, uh, hold on there, we really, really need coffee beans. We're going to invent this little green and white logo with a mermaid, slap it on a cup and charge four bucks so that we can pay you <laughs> for your freaking coffee beans. Mm. They invented Starbucks because fair trade is a sustainable way to grow coffee. And charging coffee growers to, to, to grow their beans is not a sustainable way to grow coffee. Mm. Will I license my music for film or for TV, basically paying for the privilege and calling it exposure? I think I'll take my beans and go home. <laughs> but anytime you want to come to me yeah. and offer me a fair trade value for my intellectual property, and I can show other artists how I did it, and and help, you know, Harriet Tubman said, "I freed thousands of slaves. I could have freed so many more if they only knew they were slaves." Mm. I'm telling you, this is a slave rebellion, and I am Spartacus. Who's with yeah. me? Yeah, I love it. 
Uh, well, thank you for talking with me, Michelle. I uh, I have been I I've wanted to talk to you for years, and I never knew whether you would be willing to do it. And maybe uh, this was a pleasurable experience for me. Maybe I'm too big of a tool or a gadget or whatever for it to have been a pleasurable experience for you. But I'm really grateful that I got to talk to you and share your story with my listeners. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> well, that is to your credit, John, because I have been about as insulting <laughs> well, I, as I ever did. <laughs> I don't know. I, I uh, Maybe I'm just ignorant. I didn't t take them as personal attacks, but maybe they are. I don't know. But I, pref I, choose to, I, I choose to view them not that way, you know? Yeah, I don't know you well enough to make them personal attacks. I have you know, a point of view. I have an opinion, and I, I definitely know what to do with it. So thank you for... Thank you for your graciousness. There you have it, Michelle Shocked. It's a very complicated story, all of this. It's a lot to take in. She's devoted a lot of her life to figuring out, as I said, artists' rights and dealing with the aftermath of that moment um, on stage in San Francisco. I have some strong feelings about it, but she has some strong feelings too. And uh, I have, uh, I'll leave it up to you to decide how you feel about this. It's complicated. She sent me a lot of information to sort of prepare for this conversation, and uh, I'm happy, I, th I think she would give me her blessing to pass some of that along to you. If you want to read, you know, certain articles or, or hear certain recordings or whatever that might sort of shed some light so that you can gain your own opinion about this kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. Do you ever have one of those conversations you wish you could do over again? Like as soon as it's over, you think of all the good things you wish you'd said? This was kind of one of those things for me. Um, anyway, I wish her the best. I really liked her music. Uh, anyway, we wanted to close it out with one of the songs that I like a lot. It's called Over the Waterfall. It's on her album Arkansas Traveler, which I think was her fourth album. Came out in the early 90s. Now, next week is one of my favorite conversations we've ever featured on here. I know I've been saying that a lot lately, but there's so much good stuff coming out on The Hustle in the next few weeks. Next week, call him a session musician wouldn't be fair because he was a permanent member of many different bands, but he's played with some of the biggest artists of the last 40 years. He's played on multiple albums that you would know, including with Michelle, and he tells so many no-holds-barred stories that are just pure gold. You guys are going to love this. I cannot wait to share it with you next week. Uh, huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man. Thank you for all your production work, buddy. Thanks for everything you do. Uh, you guys know how to find us. Every Tuesday, we put out new episodes. You can drop us a line on Facebook. You can like our page. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Okay? I'm really curious to hear what people have to say, what their thoughts are about this conversation. Was it satire? Um, am I overthinking it? Is she underthinking it? Is it really not that big a deal? What do you make of all of this? I'm, I'm interested in hearing from people. You'll have to drop me a line, okay? Thanks, everybody. We love you.